0: Our passage today is Galatians four, starting in verse twenty one. Now, I, I didn't ask this. Do you normally stand when you read? Just sure. Yeah. So when you get there, go ahead and stand, and we'll just stand in the honor of reading God's word. It's something we do at City Light. We, as a practice, to say that God's word stands above us. So let's read Galatians. Chapter 4, starting in verse 21, and then I'll read through ver- or chapter 5, verse 1. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave woman but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word speaks to us. And I pray now your Holy Spirit would be working in this time as we are speaking about your words inspired by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can take a seat. Um, Well, my name is Dawson. This is my wife, Melissa, as um, Matt already said. And so I'm I'm really grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for the opportunity that JR and City Light and Redeemer has given me to come preach to you today. Um, If you did not know, uh, Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo planted City Light and back in August, which I'm on staff, and you guys are supporting us, and so thank you. Just from It's, it's bearing fruit, so thank you for supporting us. And so Mosa and I, we've been married since 2020. We um, moved to Houston shortly after we got married. We had our daughter, Jane, there, and then we were called back to help plant City Light. And so I could talk about them all day long. And what, what that's interesting is when you meet someone new or when you meet someone for the first time and you say, tell me about yourself, they typically share about their family. Um, that's just something we go to, right? And why is that? Because the family we come from says a lot about us. It gives us context. It gives us meaning. Our family is central to our, to our identity, And the same truth is reinforced in the Bible. You guys have been studying Galatians, and back in chapter 3, verse 29, this is what Paul says, and if you were Christ's, then you were Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise, picking up on the family theme, right? And then again, in chapter 4, verse 6, you studied a couple weeks ago, and because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so as many, as many of you know, the Bible traces a family story. One way you could look at the Bible is through the lens of family. Starting back in Genesis and moving through Abraham's family, Isaac, Jacob, David, and eventually Jesus, the Bible's family story continues through Jesus. While in the Old Testament, God's family belonged to a specific nation, Israel, Through faith in Christ, we are grafted into God's family forever. One way to understand the Bible is through the lens of family. If you are a Christian here today, your identity as a child of God, being in God's family, is probably the most important thing about you, is most central to who you are. Our earthly families give us context for who we are, right? Jane is my daughter, and because she is a part of the Tali family, because me and Melissa are her parents, that means something. And it's even more true with our spiritual family. So the Apostle Paul today, is, he's going to look at our spiritual family. He's going to look at your family heritage and shed light on what that means for you the main idea of our text today could be summarized as this. Live as children of promise. Live as children of promise. And I use the word promise because that's the word our text uses, but promise could be interchangeable with the word grace. Live as children of grace. So, Um, the flow of our passage is going to have two main ideas today. First, look back and stand firm. So live as children of promise by looking back and by standing firm. Now, the, the book of Galatians is very repetitive and repetitive for a reason. So I may be hitting on some things that other people have said before, but Paul is repackaging truths we desperately need to hear. So first, we're going to look back at a story from the life of Abraham, someone in our spiritual family. Then Paul is going to interpret that story in light of Christ for the Galatians and call them to stand firm, living out of that identity. So first, live as children of promise by looking back. Let's just reread verses 21 through 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So in context, Paul has been giving arguments for why the Galatians should not submit themselves to the law. Or to Jewish customs that false teachers were coming into their church and saying, you have to submit to these things in order to be right with God. Last week, you studied an argument that Paul makes out of his personal relationship with the Galatians. He's known them, he's known their life, and so it doesn't make sense that they would not stick with the gospel. This week, he's trying to bring a story that should be familiar to them on what scripture has to say about their relationship with the law. So Paul takes us back to the figure of Abraham and his two sons. If you remember, God's amazing promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 was that he was going to bless the whole world through Abraham. Well, in order for that to happen, you have to have kids. And when God made a promise to Abraham, him and his wife were super old. Genesis says... They make it, Genesis makes it very clear the way of women had ceased with Sarah is how Genesis describes it. To make it plain and simple, it was not humanly possible for Sarah to have a child. So what did they do? They decide to help God out. Here's what Genesis 16 verses 1 and 2 says. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Very plain. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me, which is a direct lie to what God has actually promised, has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram, listen to the voice of Sarai instead of listening to the voice of God is what's implied. So if God has promised a child for Abram could it not and it's not coming through Sarah then just why not come through Hagar well things did not go well from here Sarah naturally becomes jealous of Hagar who has a child with her husband and division is caused in the family in God's grace he protects Hagar and her her son Ishmael but as Paul tells it he's not the child that God promised to Abram Ishmael was born of the flesh is what Paul calls it. And the flesh is just the term that Paul, that the other authors of scripture use for anything that's done out of our human ingenuity, our human willpower, our human initiative. The flesh is our natural born way we live without God. So eventually, Sarah does bear a child. When Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100, Isaac was born. He was born according to God's promise. The birth of Isaac only happened because of God's miraculous intervention. God wanted it to be abundantly clear that his promises were going to carry on despite the work of his people. His grace and his power. That's the story that Abraham is reminding us of in verses 21 through 23. As you can see, it's it's a story about misplaced faith, misplaced trust. The emphasis is on God and his promises and him carrying them out. So let's look back at the next section of Scripture and how Paul interprets that story in light of what's going on with the the rest of biblical history. So verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But The Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of one who has a husband. There's a lot there. There's a lot of details. So I probably won't be able to answer every question you have about everything there. But I'm going to try and make sense of it for us. Paul says that the story of Isaac and Ishmael may be interpreted allegorically, which just means there's probably, there's a deeper layer of um, what's just going on on the surface. Paul says that this story can point to something else in biblical history. And we should note not every passage in the Bible is just looking for some deeper meaning to be found. It's, um, Paul is seeing clear connections. He's a student of scripture, and he's trying to make a connection between the historical story in Genesis and what happened in the work of Christ. So, Paul says these women represent two covenants or two agreements, in this case, between God and his people. So, first covenant, Hagar. Hagar represents the Mosaic covenant, is what Paul says, given at Mount Sinai. So, this is a reference back to the book of Exodus when God gives the law to the people of Israel. He makes a covenant, He makes an agreement with them. If you follow these laws, you'll be blessed. If you break them, you'll be cursed. The law was good as it showed God's people how to live before Him, how to be holy, and how to be righteous before Him. But, As you guys have already studied in Galatians, remember what the law actually shows us? No one's justified by works of the law is what Paul says in Galatians 3. In our attempt to keep the law, we're actually confronted with the reality that we can't keep it because God's standard is perfection and we're not perfect. We sin, we fail. So to try and keep the law perfectly will never happen. Hence the idea of slavery that Paul is bringing out the law points us to our need for a savior. So that covenant is contrasted with the idea of Sarah and Isaac. So the other covenant is not mentioned by name, but we know it's the new covenant or the way that God deals with his people because of the person and work of Jesus. Instead of the present Jerusalem, Paul says, where current day Jews still seek to justify themselves by works of the law, the mother of believers is the Jerusalem above which is a reference to the heavenly blessings secured for us in Christ. Our hope is not in this life or in this world, but kept and secured for us by Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. And the quote in verse 27 is from Isaiah 54. It's a prophecy to Old Testament, barren, defeated Israel about God miraculously renewing them and bearing spiritual children for his people. As Isaac was miraculously born to Sarah, so God has fulfilled this promise to Israel through the church, through bearing children by the power of the Spirit. So, okay, that that was a lot. That was a lot of details. What's the point? The focus is on the nature of who is truly a child of God. When Paul says in verse 21, listen to the law, he's trying to get the Galatians to look back and see that you cannot become a spiritual child. You can have no spiritual life by trying to follow the law and trying to follow your own will and way in the world. God's true children never come by our works. God's true children are a miracle. They're by his grace. So let's just focus on that for a second. Spiritual life comes from resting in God's promise, not from resting in our own efforts. It's not that God's opposed to human effort, but he's opposed to Earning, our, to, to earning his favor by our effort. But let's just be honest about how easy it is to forget that we are God's children. Think about Sarah and Hagar. Sarah wrestled with something, something that's so relatable to so many women, barrenness. She wanted to have a child, but was unable to. And when God visits her, And her husband in her old age and promises, you actually, you won't be barren. I'm going to produce a child through you. Do you think that that was easy to believe? The call was to rest in God's promise, but instead they chose to rest in their own ability to make that promise come about. To make it a little more personal to me, um, I often think that God's love for me is contingent on my performance for him. When I get to the end of the week, when I get to the end of my work week, I often have a hard time stopping work because I feel like I haven't done enough that week for for God to be pleased with me. My heart is that I want to please God and I want to work for him, but I can live out of this place of insecurity because I'm basing God's love and acceptance for me on the quality of my spiritual work. So I'm resting in my performance for God instead of resting in his promise to me as his child. So does this hit home for you at all? Do you ever believe the lie that because of what you do, God more or less loves you? Now, how, how ridiculous would it be if in a couple years, Jane grows up and I make the promise to her, Jane, you're my baby girl and I will, I will always love you. No matter what, I will always love you. And then she goes off to her room and she's come back and she's gathered some things that she deems is valuable. And she says, here, daddy, here's my down payment for the love that you have promised me. That would be ridiculous, right? Jane could never, ever, ever try to earn the love that I have promised to her as my child. And yet, even though God has deemed our relationship with him the same way, because we are his child, we still treat him like there's some transactional relationship going on. We must come back to the reality, as Paul's pointing out for us, that spiritual children, your spiritual life is born of God and trusting in him, not in ourselves. God makes his children based on his goodness, not ours. It's backwards to our economy and our nature, but God's grace comes before our good works. To know Christ is a miracle. Just plain and simple, if you know Christ today, it is a miracle. It depends on the grace of God from start to finish. And as we look back at this profound truth from these verses, I just want to encourage you. you know what this means? Do you know what that truth from these verses means? It means that you can take a deep breath. It means that you can rest. I can rest. God has always worked the same way. We are children by his grace, not by our effort. On our good days, on our bad days, on our in-between days, nothing you and I do can take away from God's promise to your life. Of course, we work hard, we live holy lives, yes, but we do not live out of a place of needing to earn God's favor or pay him back. At the end of my week, when it is time to appropriately pause, I can do so knowing that God loves me, knowing that God approves of me regardless of my performance. Your salvation is not on your shoulders. It has been carried on the shoulders of Christ and is being offered to you for for you to rest in and receive. So live as a child of promise by looking back at how you become a spiritual child. Second point, stand firm. Live as a, children, as a child of promise by standing firm. So we're gonna move to this um, verses 28 through chapter five, verse one. Paul's established this reminder that the Galatians are children by promise and God's always worked that way. So how do we move on from here? It, it means that we remove any hint of self-sustained religion and stand firm in Christ. So let's look back at those verses, starting in chapter four, verse 21, or verse 28. <laughs> now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of, of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, this has been the undertone of everything Paul has already been saying, right? He, but he just comes right out and says it in verse 28. You are children of promise. That's the underpinning truth we need to believe from these verses. Now, Paul is trying to apply that allegory directly to the situation of the Galatians. So in the same way, there was a division between Ishmael and Isaac because they were um, born of, uh, one was born of spirit, one was born of flesh. So there was in the Galatian church. Remember, at the Galatians, the, there was false teachers coming into the church saying, the way you're truly righteous is to become circumcised, to follow Jewish customs. Paul is labeling that as persecution in this context because of the fleshly, self-oriented theology of the false teachers. And it's opposed to the gospel of grace offered in Jesus Christ. So a life in the spirit and a life in the flesh are opposed. They cannot coexist. You cannot follow yourself and follow God at the same time. So what does Paul encourage the Galatians to do in in light of this uh, division? To stand firm in their identity as children of promise. This involves first a a casting out. He says, cast out the slave woman and her son. Now, I I don't think that's a literal casting out. Just like, I don't know what that would look like booting them out of the church. I think it's a figurative do not listen to these false teachers. Cast that theology out away from you. And then stand firm in your identity in Christ. Paul's just, he's trying to dramatically say, you must not listen to these people. This is serious. This is not your family. So in the text says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. The purpose for which they were saved And rescued from sin was to enjoy a life with God. And so he's, he's wanting them to stand confidently in that. And what Paul is doing here is drawing out the proper response to children saved by grace. You must cut out from your life any hint of trying to make yourself right with God by what you do. When we see our true identity, we are serious about cutting out any behavior or mindset that is contrary to that. So what what Paul's making clear for us is we can't live in these two identities at once. Children of the flesh and children of the spirit are incompatible with one another. And so why would we stand for that in our Christian life? But that's easier said than done, right? Our hearts have this default mode to self-righteousness, to trying to please God by what we do. Uh, Dane Ortland, an author, says it this way, that we are all prone to near constant manufacturing of relational leveraging, fear stuffing, nervousness, score keeping, neurotic controlling, and anxiety festering silliness. Like, the default method mode of our heart is that, and because of our sin. And while we may intellectually ascend to the fact that, yes, I am God's child saved by His grace, because of the present reality of sin in our lives, we, don't, we do not always reflect that. We try and live out of two identities at once. And it's often very subtle, right? And this is why we have to be diligent to expose it. When I, when I come to my wife in an argument, and, or after an argument and say, I will never do that again, or I cannot believe that I would act that way, what I'm resting in in those moments is my godly behavior in my own efforts and my own right. I'm resting my own godly behavior in my effort and my righteousness. Instead of living out of my identity as a child of God and saying, Melissa, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? This is why I need Jesus' help to continue to live a holy life. I don't live holy based out of my own will and effort, but out of God's grace and that drives my holiness. Or I, I bet many of you have had this experience, I have, of coming to the Bible or coming to church or to pray, knowing that you should, out of some duty or out of some discipline, but what you're subtly communicating to God when you come out of a thinking you should is, well, God, I, I think your love for me is contingent on this, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, so accept me now. But if we follow that train of thought, what you're, when you fail, when you don't uh, read your Bible every day or pray every day, you, you start to feel like you're crushed because God's love and acceptance for you is based on those things. And you'll just say, well, I'll just do better tomorrow. But it's dangerous to live out of that instead of out of God's love for you and letting that drive your holiness and your um, intimacy with him. Because it's a good, it's a good thing. You're masking um, a wrong identity with a good thing. Paul is serious about turning from false ways of teaching, casting out false identity, and standing firm in Christ because he sees the seriousness of the matter. Do you? In the next chapter, spoiler alert, Paul is going to expand on this idea. In your life, Christ is either everything or he is nothing. The reason these identities are so opposed to each other and are such an affront to God is because one is resting on pride and one in self and one rests in Christ and his work alone. You cannot be placing your trust in Christ and in yourself at the same time. Christ is either everything to you or he is nothing. And Paul also sees the danger in this way of thinking and following in the lineage of Hagar because as the text says, all it does is bear children for slavery. What does that mean? Well, to live under anything except the grace of God will never be enough. You know that your self-control has a limit, that your good deeds aren't always good intention that your desires fade. To live towards God and other people based on your measures only ends in discouragement and disappointment and a rejection of Christ. We have to be so committed to surgically removing from our lives any hint of behavior that exposes a false identity of our relationship with God and run towards the identity given to us in Christ. So that begs the question, how do we do that? Well, the simple answer is to just walk in the Spirit, which is something that Galatians will continue to expound on in a couple weeks. But for now, like, what does it practically look like to cast out one identity and stand firm in another? If that's the subtle drift, if that's the natural drift of our hearts, to um, allow our behavior to make us good before God, then we need consistent rhythms, reminders of the truth. We need constant saturation in the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that I'm a child of God based on Christ and his righteousness alone. So one way we do that is by engaging in this very gathering. When we come together as the body of Christ, and we sing Christ-centered songs and submit to Christ-centered preaching, we're actually retuning our hearts to the gospel, to the true story of what is going on in the world. In a sense, by focusing on the right Christ-honoring things in this gathering, we're rejecting false identities and remembering who we are together as a family. In another way, we cast out living by the flesh in our lives and running to Christ is moving beyond the Sunday gathering and opening ourselves up to people who genuinely know about the things that, is go- that are going on in your heart and my heart. Here at Liberty, here in Dalhart, who are you living your life with? Who knows the things that are going on in your heart? Who knows the struggles and the temptations and the ways you aim to live outside your identity as a child of God? Who can point you to Jesus and your true identity in those moments? For me, I have men in my community group at City Light and that I get to confess sin with and I get to ask to pray for me. And I have a friend named Savante and we've been best friends since high school and we go on walks on Tuesday mornings. And he is the person in my life because he's an outsider and he can often look in better than I can about what's going on in my heart. And tell me, hey, you're not thinking right about that. Run to Jesus. That's what Paul is doing for the Galatians in the context of relationship, of knowing them, of pastoring them. He says, live as children of promise by standing firm in your true identity. So as we close, let's just recap. And let me give some final encouragement. Paul's extremely serious about the Galatians living in their true family identity. So we should be extremely serious about it. Once we see that spiritual life only comes from a trust in God's grace, we'll be constantly committed to cutting out any effort to justify ourselves by anything we do. And so I just want to acknowledge I don't know where you find yourself in your spiritual journey today. You may feel really energized and excited about what God is doing, or you may feel defeated and believe that God has a hard time loving you. And initially, when I think about this idea of standing firm, the mental picture that comes to my head is like getting planted in like a statue or waiting to absorb some blow from a football player. I'm going to stand firm. You're not going to move me. This is the image that comes to my head, right? But I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. The emphasis is what you're standing on, what you're holding fast to, the freedom of the gospel, not how good I am at standing fast. To stand firm is to say, with all of my failings, with all of my imperfections, I need Jesus. And you may be realizing right now that your whole life has just been an effort to earn God's grace. Never resting, always imagining God to be vindictive and scary. Here is the call. Rest in him. Rest that he wants to make you his child or that you are his child. Cast out that behavior And stand firm in the belief that God loves you based on the finished work of Christ. And let's be honest, for those of us who have known that truth and can communicate that truth to each other, this whole idea of casting out and standing firm is an all of life thing. On this side of eternity, we will never be rid of needing to root out false ways of thinking and behaving and standing firm on the finished work of Christ. But it's not about how good you are at standing firm. It's about what you're standing firm in. So Liberty, my prayer for you is that as you leave here today, you would live and move and breathe as children of God's grace, children of promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us and confronts us and is um, inspired. You have said in your word exactly what you wanted to say. And I, I pray by faith that we would grab onto it and run to Christ. Please help us now do the work that only you can do by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.